when the Lord called me to be president of uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, the transition between uh, <clears throat> being a pastor uh, to being a seminary professor, in some ways, I mean, you're still a, a pastor, you're shepherding a flock of preachers-to-be with their families, and you're also representing uh, the seminary. It's my great privilege and joy to bring you greetings, in fact, from Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh, seven campuses, 3,000 students, uh, largest reform seminary movement of its kind in North America, and uh, it's a tremendous honor and privilege to labor there. But the transition, one of the things, a couple of things I, I really missed was uh, we were a historic downtown church, and as I was telling the officers this weekend, this, this particular story, and it touched me because of the children's church, because that's one thing I miss. Uh, I, I used to be at the front door, and uh, I wore a robe, and the children would tug on my robe to get my attention because I'd be shaking the hands of the adults. And I remember this one particular young family. The, the little child uh, always liked to, uh, he liked to feel the robe, and I would, I would pick the little boy up, and he would, there were kind of velvet panels built into this black preacher's robe, and it felt good against his face, and, and he would rub his face up against that. And that moment uh, became a metaphor uh, for my love of the pastoral ministry, which involved uh, children. And uh, so what a touching moment. Glad you didn't forget that, uh, Pastor. And uh, the other thing is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and I get to be uh, part of that this morning, and that's, that was so touching and meaningful but also preaching to God's people, the same people that I knew I was in a hospital with, the nursing homes the week before, and then I opened up God's Word and applied it in the context of community. And so that was very hard as I uh, accepted this, uh, this tremendous uh, opportunity, this open door of ministry, which we believe God had called us to. I uh, didn't... Uh, I didn't go seeking it. It came to us, and uh, so we felt it was of the Lord as we analyzed it and prayed about it, and our, our uh, peers in the ministry analyzed it. But that was hard. But what I've discovered is that this, and this is my goal, I, I state my goal to your pastor, your session, and deacons, including your brand new deacons, just got elected, and all, every person here. My heart is to be an itinerant minister of the gospel on behalf of Reformed Theological Seminary. They give me that opportunity, and they just say, go, go preach around the world, around the nation. And uh, my wife, May, and my son, John Michael, are at home this morning. They're at worship at Christ Covenant Church in Matthews, North Carolina, suburban Charlotte. And they give me that uh, uh, freedom which is hard sometimes to be away from them. But my desire is to go into the churches of America and, and in, in the world uh, when God gives me those open doors and to bring blessing to the body of Christ. And that is why, I want to, that's why I'm here. That was my goal with your officers this weekend was to bring blessing to the body of Christ from the Word of God. And that's why I'm here. And the way I want to do that this morning, of course, the way I do it is through the ordinary means of grace, word, sacrament, and prayer. 
And this morning is the word part, and I believe that God will speak to our hearts, minister to our needs, and even though I don't know you personally, I know some of your officers a little better than I knew them uh, a couple days ago, and I've known your pastor for a couple years as we've served together, but I really don't know everything that's going on in your life and the challenges, uh, even the way your pastors do, Dave and, and uh, uh, your elders, and of course uh, your senior minister, and and each of you know what's going on in your lives. I don't. I'm just an itinerant preacher who's going to come with the Word of God. But I'm going to trust this morning with you that the Spirit of the living God will be our teacher, not Mike Milton. That the Spirit of Jesus will be here, and He will walk down these aisles and into these rows and into your hearts and open up what I'm about to read this morning, which is in the inerrant and the infallible Word of the living God. And I read this morning from Joshua, selected passages. And I begin with Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, Joshua begins uh, in a very stark way. Uh, look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. If there's anything that Joshua knew who had been kind of in a succession plan to take over Israel, to lead and serve Israel, if there was anything that Joshua knew, it was that Moses was dead. So why did God say that? Because he was saying, you're, you're now the man. You're the man. So the book begins in verse 2, Moses is dead. And everyone knew that. But what had to happen was a transition, a Holy Spirit transition, an anointing on this new servant, uh, Yeshua. And so he's reminded of that, and he's encouraged, and he's going to have to face some amazing obstacles because what's going to happen? They're going to have to cross the Jordan and go into a pagan land, a land filled with idolatry, and simultaneously God is going to be accomplishing two things. Number one, He's going to judge the pagan nations for the wickedness, and He's going to do that through Joshua and through Israel. Number two, He is going to establish the Abrahamic covenantal promise that they are going to possess a land. And by the end of Joshua, we learn they possessed all of the land that was promised by God to Abraham. All of it. And how are they going to do that? How are they going to overcome all of the, the tremendous obstacles, the entrenched enemies, the, the Al-Qaeda, if you will, of their day? How are they going to overcome those things? How are they going to overcome their own fears, the, the sin in the camp which is going to be revealed? How are they going to overcome all of these obstacles? Moses is dead. And now pull up your chairs because I'm going to teach you how to overcome the obstacles of life. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then in chapter 5, verse 13, before the encounter of Jericho, something happens. Listen. 
When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. With its king and mighty men of valor, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. The people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And then verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Verse 26, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up his gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Moses, my servant, is dead. The Lord is with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We wait upon Thee, O Christ, as You walked through the locked doors on that first day of the week when You were raised from the dead, and You walked into the room of trembling disciples. We would pray today earnestly that You would walk through the walls of our hearts and minds and walk into the room of our lives where some of us are trembling with fears about family and fears about 
finance and fears about faith and fears about tomorrow. And some of us are just fearful and we don't know why. And some of us are troubled and some of us this morning are very happy and joyful. And we want to turn to you with the joy and the blessings of life. But yet each and every one of us, Father, are going to encounter obstacles and hardships and we need to know how to face them. And so we turn to you and to your word. And I pray that you will help me to preach as if never to preach again as a dying man to dying men. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, the captain of our salvation, I pray. Amen. How do you deal with the obstacles of life? Well, there are various ways that you can do that. Uh, I learned that when I was in high school playing football. And I used to run uh, punts and kickoffs back. And I'll never forget this time. The ball came to me. I had the ball, and I, I, can't, I began running. And I made it through the kind of the first wave of defenders and, and hit a couple of them and, and made it through. And, and I was breaking free. It's that glorious feeling, if any of you men have ever played football, when you, when you break through the line and there's nothing but green in front of you and a goal line in front of you. And all of a sudden, I, I was bigger than most kids uh, my age uh, at 15, 14, 15 years old, I was already this size, and I never grew after that, but I was already six feet by the time uh, I was in. I was fast as lightning, and uh, I was good. There are only two things between me and the goal line were two little kids who were uh, in the backfield. One of them apparently was the kicker. And so they were standing kind of, kind of like this, waiting on me, you know. They were going to defend that goal line and make sure I didn't score. And so in one split second, I had a decision to make. Do I run over these kids who were my age, but they were smaller than I was? Do I just, do I just powerfully overwhelm them and run over them? Or do I do a little uh, Mercury Morris move and go around them? Some of you remember Mercury Morris, some of you don't. And uh, I decided I'd go through them. Now, wh what happened is as I went through these guys, these were tough, tenacious little guys. They were little, but they wiry, but they were, they were hard as iron. And uh, they could jump. And you know what they did? They jumped up on top of my back. So I'm running with these two guys on my back. And, of course, they, they've slowed me down. But... They started slipping down the closer I got to the goal line, and they were just grabbing for jersey or for, or for arm, you know, shoulder pads, whatever they could get. Finally, I'm, I'm going across the goal line like this, and they're grabbing a hold of my hip pads. And uh, what some of you are thinking actually happened, they, <laughs> they, kept, they kept doing that, and as I made it across the goal line, my pants were at my ankles. And I didn't realize it. And I was going, yay, yay, all right. And my pants were down at my ankles. And the two guys are just looking at me like, oh, man, what have we done? And there was laughter from the stands. And I thought, wow, they're really happy about what I've done. 
And, uh, but I looked at the cheerleaders, and they were running the other way. <laughs> and I learned a great lesson that the way you deal with the obstacles in your life may reveal the most intimate things about you. <laughs> That's a very true story that uh, if my son were sitting here, he would say, he's 16, so he'd say, oh, you're about to tell that story again. <laughs> very true. But that was my decision on how to deal with the obstacle in my life at that, at that point. The truth is, as I said, we're all going to deal with uh, obstacles of some sort on the field of, of life, in work, in our relationships, in our health, uh, in our heart, uh, in our faith. I read earlier, if I may read this New Testament reading, which is... Uh, at, uh, at first, it may sound like it, it just doesn't have a whole lot to do with the passage, but it, the, the Spirit of the Lord brings this to me uh, as, uh, as, I'm, as I'm coming into this Joshua portion. And it's what we read from Sunday school. Uh, the disciples needed to know uh, how to deal with the obstacles of life. They had gone out and they were sharing the gospel. Jesus had sent them out. He's coming back in. It's teaching time. In the midst of teaching time, he gets a message. He gets a message from John the Baptist. And John the Baptist uh, has a question. John the Baptist is locked up for taking on the political authorities of his day and preaching against sin in the highest places. And uh, so John the Baptist, who's the greatest prophet who had ever lived, Jesus said, he certainly believed in Jesus. He was his cousin. He had baptized him. Uh, who knew Jesus better, perhaps one might ask, than John the Baptist? He knew his identity. When the Spirit of uh, God came down upon Jesus uh, after his baptism, and uh, he heard the very voice of the Father from heaven. But we read, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? A crisis of faith as he was facing the obstacle of approaching death. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What's the answer John? How do you face the obstacle uh, in your life? The answer is, is I, I am the living answer that you are looking for and the results that are coming from me are absolutely supernatural and the kingdom has arrived, the kingdom is here, the kingdom has come and that answer would satisfy the heart of John the Baptist. A supernatural answer to the perplexing questions of life is what you need. Because some of you may be crying out from the dungeons of your existence of layoffs or a struggle with faith. Is this the one or is there another? Is this the way? To live my life? Is this the Christ to follow? 
Is this the church to be in? Is this the place to worship the Lord? Is it better that I'm in the assembly of these people who sometimes hurt me because they're human? Is it best to be in the company of the faithful or can I just go live my life separately from everybody else and just forget about church and the struggles and the trials of trying to follow the Lord? Is this the way or is there another? And in the midst of this comes the answer from Joshua about how to overcome the obstacles of life. You note in the passage itself that uh, there is a, there's a usage of the word seven. And there is a seven meaning completion, the day of rest for the Lord. And so uh, the number seven and even the word Sabbath or uh, uh, from the same word, the same root. It's the same, it's the same word. And, and so it's a sign of the fullness and the completion of the Lord. It's a sign it, of the supernatural activity of God. And as they march seven times on the seventh day, what I want to bring you today uh, are seven steps. Now these are not seven long points, have no fear. But there are seven steps, because I thought seven was important. If it shows up in the scripture like that, I think I ought to be faithful to the text and at least show you what I see are seven steps to seeing God unleashed against the obstacles in your life. Number one, here's the first step to overcoming the obstacle in your life. Follow the leader. You say, well, the leader in the text, who's the leader in the text? The leader in the text is not Joshua. In fact, Joshua encounters in chapter 5 and verse 13 this commander of the army of the Lord. You'll notice that Joshua falls down and worships this one. Does this commander of the army of the Lord, of the covenant God of Israel, does he say, get up and not worship an angel? He doesn't. He receives worship. I have to agree with Matthew Henry who says this man was the son of God, the eternal word. Joshua gave him divine honors. He received them, which a created angel would not have done, and he's called Jehovah. In chapter 6, 2, at the end of uh, the, uh, the securing of uh, Jericho, uh, God speaks and identifies himself as Almighty God, as Jehovah God. To Abraham, this one appeared as a traveler. To Joshua, as a man of war, Christ will be to his people what their faith needs. Now, you may disagree with that, and men of goodwill can differ on the interpretation of that, but this one thing is sure, uh, Joshua wasn't in control, and Pastor Dave isn't. And what I've learned this weekend with your elders and deacons is they're not the leaders of this church. Jesus Christ is the new Joshua, the Yeshua, who is here today, who said that wherever my people are gathered there, I'll be in the midst of them. He's the captain of this army called Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church. And my beloved in Christ, he is the captain of your life personally and mine. He must be. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Follow the leader. 
One time when I was in school, another football story, my son would say, I was on a bus, football game, we were going somewhere, and it was way out in the country in Louisiana. And it was one of those, uh, uh, one of those trips where they say, go to this turnip patch and turn right, and then go to this uh, stump and turn left. And, and we were getting lost, and there was a lot of backseat drivers, uh, a lot of the other assistant coaches telling the coach who was driving how to, how to drive the bus. And I remember finally he pulled that old bus over, put the brake on, got up, and he turned around, and he said, uh, we've got too many drivers on this bus. Now, who wants to drive this bus? That's what the coach said. I can still see him with the tobacco juice running down the side of his mouth. <laughs> who, who wants to drive this bus, men? And there wasn't a voice to reply, and he got back and he drove the bus. The question before each of us today is who's going to drive the bus? There are a lot of voices. In Joshua, the leader is not Joshua, it is the Lord. And the question is going to be in overcoming the obstacles of life that we face, in dealing with the challenges that the officers face, that the pastors face, in leading a flock, in you leading your family, in you leading your businesses, in being men and women of God in the marketplace and in D.C., the question is who is going to be the leader? And the answer needs to be the one that you fall before and worship, who goes before you. Leadership for me is really following the leader, the Lord Jesus. I'm often asked as a, uh, a president about, about leadership uh, with our students and with our faculty, and I, and, and I always correct them, and I try to use the word uh, servant. I said, I serve. I, I do not lead the seminary. I serve the seminary. It is my prayer that Jesus Christ leads this part of the church which is preparing the next generation of pastors to pastor your children and grandchildren. Because I want to follow. We've got a lot of books on leadership. If you'll lead like Petraeus or if you'll lead like this way, and I like Petraeus and I like Eisenhower, and if you'll lead like Reagan or Lee and I, uh, happens all those that I've mentioned are heroes of mine. But you know what? That in, 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 the sup in the world that we live in, we've got to rely on supernatural means to achieve supernatural ends. And there are all kind of uh, great truths out there that may occur in the life of Eisenhower or Reagan or Churchill or, or Robert E. Lee or Grant or some other leader. But my beloved, the, the, the greatest thing that you can do in leading your family, in leading the church, in leading your business is to be a follower of Jesus and let Him lead in your life. That's number one. Number two is celebrate God's salvation in the face of the obstacle. And in fact, that's what we're going to do this morning. This morning we're going, to, we're going to celebrate. You say, I've got a lot of burden and a heaviness going on in my life, and, and if you knew the sins that I was struggling with, uh, you would, uh, uh, preacher, you'd, you'd walk out of here. You wouldn't even spend time with me. And I'd say, if you knew some of the things I was struggling with, you'd walk out and wouldn't listen to me. So we're all here together, facing our Jerichos, whatever they may be. And in just a few moments, the bread is going to touch your tongue, reminding you of the body of Jesus Christ. And the fruit of the vine and the cup 
from the cup will touch your lips, reminding you of his blood shed to atone for your sin. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death which should have been yours, and you're free. And there's no Jericho that cannot be overcome, not by you, but by his power. And in the presence of Jericho, Joshua 5, verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, where on the plains of Jericho, in the presence of Jericho, the, enig- the enigmatic, mysterious place where we're not sure if there's going to be victory or not in and of ourselves, we're going to go ahead and celebrate victory. We're going to celebrate redemption and release and freedom. What if you could live your life like that? Teenagers, what if you could live your life like that in the face of the exams, or the face of the questions, or the temptations, the Jerichos, the impregnable uh, uh, citadels that are before you, and you say, I don't know how I'm going to get beyond this. What if you could face that this morning, those of you who are communing members, by taking of the bread of the cup and, and on the plains of Jericho, on the plains of the thing that seeks to stand in front of you in the promised land where you want to be, you celebrate Christ. What a way to live. That, in fact, is the Christian life in a way that we overcome the obstacles of life. Thirdly is to believe the promise the fall of Jericho would not happen as a result of the way armies normally conduct warfare. I just went through command in General Staff College as part of my uh, Army Reserve chaplaincy, and I uh, had to study uh, tactics and strategies, and, and uh, there were all sorts of mock exercises. I can tell you nowhere in my study did I see that they would, they would take the city by on that we would take the city, that we would overcome the, hostile, the hostility by bringing forth the chaplain corps and bringing the chaplain corps to the front and marching them out with their Bibles. Not one place in Command General Staff College at 411 Worth, Kansas, did I see that we would, we would understand that we're going to uh, uh, believe in winning the battle by putting the chaplains first, and yet the priest would go, they would blow their horns, the ark of the Lord would be central, central to all of it would be the number seven, God's supernatural way of saying, I'm in charge, and we're not going to lead with the infantry, Pastor Dave, as much as I love and respect the infantry, we're going to lead with the chaplain corps of Israel, we're going to lead with with them, they're going to go without weapons, without anything other than the ark of God, the presence of God. And this morning, I stand before you with word and sacrament and prayer, and I'm saying that is enough for you to overcome the obstacles of, this, of your life. How many of you will believe it? How many of you will receive it? How many of you will receive the bread and the cup this morning and say, the obstacles in my life, the Jerichos, the impregnable forces that have to be overcome, I'm going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to overcome them with my own ingenuity or strategies or tactics, but through the ordinary means of grace. I'm going to lean on Christ. I'm going to receive Him, and in His fullness, I'll go forward. How many of you will believe that? That is the way in the Bible that we overcome the obstacles 
of life. Obey the plan. Obey the plan. The people shouted, the trumpets were blown, Joshua 6.20. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Obey the plan. They did exactly what God told them to do. They wouldn't always do that. Israel did not consistently follow the supernatural means given by God, but this time they did and it says that the wall fell down flat. The walls came a-tumbling down, as we remember in the old song. Obedience brought conquest. There is a plan. The only way to be saved is to follow God's plan. Well, it doesn't sound right to human ears. It doesn't sound right that you will, be, you will inherit eternal life and you will find new life and abundant life by following a God who is crucified by those whom He created. That doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right that, that uh, it's not going to be by your, your mental uh, prowess uh, that you understand philosophically all of Christianity and all of the biblical literature. That's not how you're going to be saved. But in fact, it's going to be a transfer of trust from yourself and from your brain and from your strength and your power, a transfer of trust from yourself to Jesus of Nazareth, who is the God-man who came to live the life you couldn't live and die the death which should have been yours and who offers eternal life as a free gift for all who will receive him by, by faith. That's the plan. The people went up into the city and they captured the city. Number five, just watch God work. That's the way to overcome the obstacles of life is sometimes is simply to watch God work. You see, the plan worked. When you follow God's plan, God's way, the walls that you face one way or the other will come down. Sometimes they fall flat in an instant, and sometimes they crumble over a lifetime. But they have to go if Jesus is there. God was at work. And through the cross, God's Son tasted death, and from death came resurrection for Jesus and resurrection hope for you. And you have got to believe God is still working through your prayer. Some of you have got prodigal children the way I was a prodigal son. And you're wondering if that daughter or that son is going to come to the Lord. You continue to pray. You watch God work. I'll never forget... Uh, Give me my time, Pastor Dave, for uh, three minutes. Four, four, three. You gave me one more, so three and then four. Gave me one more. So, young lady, uh, her father committed suicide, and uh, I did the service. And uh, there were there were two girls, two son, two daughters, and a son. Uh, the son withdrew into himself. Uh, one of the daughters was a, was a faithful member of our church, and she clung to Christ. Uh, through all the pain and tears. One of the girls was at, at Ole Miss, and she was away, and uh, she hardened herself against the Lord. And, uh, but I always believed that she believed. And she used to come at, uh, I did the father's uh, funeral, 
And uh, she used to come at Christmas Eve and Thanksgiving at times like that. She would come home. And I remember it was a Christmas Eve, an evening service, 7 o'clock. So the service is over at 8.30 or so. And I'm at the front door greeting people on this magical, enchanted, I love Christmas Eve services as a pastor. And here she came. And her soul smiles and family and warmth. And she looked at me and it was stone-faced. And I said, I've been praying for you. She said, you have? as if I don't care. Have you really? I said, yes. And I said, you know what the Lord seems to be showing me about you is uh, you really believe. She said, no, I don't. I said, I don't believe in your unbelief. And she said, preacher, you're crazy. I said, well, I don't. I don't believe in your unbelief. I believe in your heart. You you do trust and you do love him. But you've been hurt, understandably. But I just want you to know that your pastor back home here is praying for you. And praying for your faith to explode. And to tear down all those walls. And for you to move forward. That the very thing that has hurt you is going to be the thing that is going to lead you back to Jesus. I left, accepted the call several years later. She graduates. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I get a call in my office at uh, Reform Seminary, and she's calling me. She says, I, I want to drive over with my fiancé, and I want to meet you. I want you to marry us. I said, well, I would have to. She said, I know. I know you want to talk about my faith, and that's what I want to talk about. Long story short, she received the Lord, but she was already believing but she had, to, she had to watch God work in her life. And that's what I was doing. Sometimes that's what we have to do. God moves in a mysterious way, William Cooper wrote, a man who struggled with depression. God moves in a mysterious way as wonders to perform. He plants his footstep in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessings on your head. Here's number six is uh, leave it alone. Once, just leave it alone. Now, I get that from uh, the part in Joshua 6 where Joshua uh, uh, pronounces an oath over it. And he, he laid an oath on him at that time saying, cursed is the man who rises up and rebuilds Jericho. Forget about it. We captured it. It's over. God did it. And it can't rise again. It's over. And in some of your hearts and consciences and minds, you're still thinking about the sins of the past. Jesus has forgiven you. It's over. You don't need to rebuild that mountain of sin, that mountain of pain again in your heart and your life. It's over. That sin was placed on Jesus and nailed him to the cross that sin caused Jesus to go to the far extremities of pain to which he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That sin was placed on Jesus Christ and it crushed the Son of God. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where he intercedes for you this second. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Leave it with the Lord. Number seven, live the promise. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Joshua 6, 
27. Trusting in God leads to a new way of life. The one who appeared to him and the one that Joshua followed led him all the way to victory. Knowing that Jericho was defeated would strengthen Joshua, and it led to word about his leadership. Moses is dead. Now what are we going to do? Well, I'm going to let Joshua go forth, and we're going to defeat Jericho. But Joshua is going to know it wasn't him. It was of the Lord. And that's, that's true leadership, but that's also the way we, we, we gain confidence and courage to go forward. And we begin to live the promise that in all things we're conquerors, even with the things that seek to destroy us. Late Stephen Ambrose wrote about an amazing victory during World War II as he wrote D-Day and he wrote many other books. And he asked this question in one of the books, I can't remember which, but he asked the question, where did America get such men? He was talking about 18, 19-year-old bomber pilots <clears throat> flying over Europe, making milk runs as people were firing at you over Europe or taking the beaches of Iwo Jima. Where did America get such men? And one of the answers came from uh, the banks of the Tennessee River in a little Kentucky community called Turkey Creek. Because one night, a 19-year-old boy named Ed sat with his daddy next to a silver tone radio, listened to the voice of Walter Wincher. Winchell and reports coming that it seemed that if the Imperial Japanese Army was successful, they would, might even storm the beaches of California. And this farm boy was convinced that he had to go protect his country and has told his daddy, I'm going to join the Marine Corps and I'm going to fight. He had no idea what lay in front of him. But that night he went to a little Baptist church near him and he was kneeling down in a pastor came over to him. It was a late Sunday night. The pastor was still there, and he talked with Ed. And that night, Ed placed his faith in Jesus Christ. Ed wrote in his book, Out of the Depths, it was on that day that God forgave me of my sins, and I experienced the miracle of new birth in Christ. As the burden of my sin was finally laid at the foot of the cross, my heart was filled with joy and relief. I thought to myself, now I'm ready for war because now I am ready for eternity. He shipped out to boot camp and sea school, and he was assigned to the USS Indianapolis. On July 30, 1945, weeks before the war ended, the commander of the Japanese submarine I-58 put the Indianapolis in his periscope crosshairs, shouted a command, and within just a short period of time, less than 15 minutes, Ed and 899 other men of the ship's 1,196-member crew were swimming in a half-inch oil slick, cold and shark-infested in the Philippine Sea. And the cruise, cruiser, the USS Indianapolis, was at the bottom of the sea. In four days, 900 survivors became 317 as sharks, hypothermia, and dehydration depleted the ranks. Ed Harrell was one of them who was still there, one of those Marines. One of his Marine buddies who was hanging on to a raft with him 
said, I can't go anymore. I'm slipping out. Ed told him, there are two Marines in this part of the ocean today, and there are going to be two Marines pulled out of this ocean whenever they come for us, and you're not going anywhere. So he held a prayer meeting, and he writes in his book, Out of the Depths, as the terrors of the night surrounded me, my heart ran frequently to the Lord in prayer. The indwelling Holy Spirit would help me think of Scripture, and when this would happen, I'd lay hold of God's promises, and I'd pray them back to Him with an attitude of awe and great joy. The oil slick and the, the shark-infested waters became a sanctuary. On the third day, when the thirst was overwhelming, Ed held another prayer meeting and pleaded for water, and he watched as over the horizon a single cloud came right over the top of them, and rained down wet mercy. They were amazed as a pallet of rotten potatoes floated by, and they feasted on the filth, but it gave them sustenance to last, and they were rescued. Ed Harrell now goes around telling about how God was with him, and he uses, he signs this under his name, because I had him autograph the book when I heard him tell the story. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But it wasn't because of Ed's strength that he was saved. He goes all the way back to that teenage boy giving his heart to Jesus in that little Kentucky chapel. It always starts like that. It always begins with Joshua throwing himself in front of the captain of the army of the Lord. It's the way it begins for you. It's the way it started for me. As we come to the one who says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus has defeated the greatest obstacle of all. The greatest Jericho that we'll ever face is death and has been defeated. He offers eternal life and abundant life to all who will turn from themselves and receive Jesus by faith. Let's pray. The obstacles of our lives are many, Lord, and the greatest is indeed death and hell. But I thank you that through your life and death, you have defeated both, and that you offer eternal life and you offer from your word constantly a call to renewal and courage and faith and strength for Christians as we live our lives. I begin by praying in my own heart this morning that blessing would come upon this congregation. And I pray that now, Lord, as we feast on the fields of Jericho, maybe the obstacle's still in front of us,